Our text this morning is the rest of Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark in his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 27, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, The last time I preached here was in the first half of Revelation 13, and now we have the second half, and we deal with the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth or the dry land. One of the questions that often arises in connection with Revelation 13 is whether we are dealing here with the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. Some say the first beast is the Antichrist. Some say the second beast is the Antichrist. Some say the two together make up the one Antichrist. And then there are those who also say this Antichrist will not appear in the world until the very end, just before Jesus Christ returns in the clouds of heaven. So we are left to wonder, what is really the truth here? Who is the Antichrist? What is the Antichrist? The Bible gives us a fair bit of information. Back in 2 Thessalonians 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks there about the man of lawlessness. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the return of Christ, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Here we see that the man of lawlessness is truly a man. It is a human being, totally opposed to God, totally opposed to the kingdom and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we learn more. We also learn in 1 John 2, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. John makes clear that we should not see the Antichrist simply as one man, but as actually many men, 
or many women, many human beings who have the spirit of Antichrist in them. We also read in 1 John 4, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in this world. So John also makes clear the Antichrist is here now. What we learn, brothers and sisters, from these passages is that it is not correct to say that the Antichrist can only be one person. And he can only appear at the very end of history. We see that the Antichrist is actually many people, many persons throughout history. It may culminate in one person, but he is not necessarily one person. Both the beast from the sea and the beast from the dry land, which represent many people, they have in them the spirit of the Antichrist and so can be called Antichrist or Antichrists. The one question that's, that's still left is whether the Antichrist can only appear at the end of history. Well, brothers and sisters, we read in Revelation 13, verse 5, about the first beast. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise his authority for 42 months. And we saw the last time that the 42 months represents the entire time period between the first coming and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This beast, both the beast from the sea and the beast from the dry land, are always with us. They have been with us since the time of Pentecost, and they will be here to the end of the world. They represent things like political power, false religion, the media, culture, The spirit of Antichrist is all around us. It's in politics, it's in business, it's in banking, it's in the media. The spirit of Antichrist is here. Sometimes they manifest themselves particularly in one person. For instance, it was believed that Nero was the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. Others said Domitian. In the time of John Calvin and Martin Luther, they said the Pope was the Antichrist. They said Hitler was the Antichrist. Indeed, brothers and sisters, you can even think of a man like Stalin who murdered 30 million people in a short period of time, also many Christians. Do you not think that the people in Ukraine today would still consider Stalin the Antichrist? Of course they do, and it is appropriate to do that. At the same time, we may not restrict that to just one person. and We definitely do not want to restrict it to one person at the very end of history. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear, we are living at the end of times. And I could return at any moment. Always be ready. The Antichrist is here, brothers and sisters. He's in our world. He manifests himself in so many different ways and so many different people. It is around us. Be awake. Be aware. It is a dangerous, brutal, seductive world which tries to draw us away from our Lord Jesus Christ. And our eyes need to be wide open. And we need to place our faith and our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be saved and walk in the right way. So now we come to our text, which we will summarize in this way. The dragon raises his second beast or accomplice as his propagandist. The second beast is a showman, a threat, and a failure. 
I feel a little sheepish using a word like propagandist, but honestly, couldn't think of a better word. A propagandist. A propagandist is somebody who tries to change the way you think and the way you act, often by very emotional speeches and by not being exactly honest. A propagandist manipulates people. He affects how they think, affects how they act, and he gets them to do things that normally they wouldn't do. But they have been deceived through, through a very emotional address, through lies and deception. A propagandist steers you in a whole different direction, which you normally would not do if you had not met this person. Now, the beast who rises from the dry land in our text is a propagandist. A number of times later in the book of Revelation, he is referred to as the false prophet. He is a master of seduction. He gets you to think in a whole new way, gets you to act in a whole new way. He's a lot different from the first beast. The first beast is brutal. He is raw power. The second beast, he's smoother. He's, he's someone that you, you're attracted to, someone you easily listen to. But you can understand when you put brutal, raw power together with beauty and seduction, and you add it together, you have a terrific accomplice weapon of the devil to lead us away from the pathways of righteousness and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We read in our text that, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. The very fact that John says, I saw another beast, makes us realize he wants us to connect the two beasts in Revelation 13. See the connection between the beast from the sea and the beast from the dry land. The beast from the sea is raw, brutal power. It can be an army. It can be politics, big business, banking. It can be special interest groups who force people to act or think in a certain way. The second beast is quite a bit different. He is a lamb. He's got two horns, which represents power, but he's a lamb. And whenever you think of a lamb, if you see a a picture of a lamb, even with two horns beginning to sprout out, your first reaction is, that's sweet. That's beautiful. That is innocent. It's even vulnerable. And as soon as you see something that's vulnerable, your heart goes out to it. Our Lord Jesus Christ is also described as the lamb. And he is the one, he's a lamb who was led to the slaughter and slain for us. And whoever sees that yearns to be one with Jesus Christ, is drawn to this lamb who died for us. Well, the second beast also comes across like a lamb. He is sweet, innocent, vulnerable. We are drawn to him. But looks, brothers and sisters, looks can be very deceiving. As Adam and Eve already discovered in the Garden of Eden, when Satan came to Eve and to Adam in the form of a serpent. And this is before snakes were seen as violent, creepy, dangerous creatures. When that snake spoke to Eve, you can imagine that Eve turned to Adam and said, that guy is so sweet. I could talk to him. We could communicate together. He convinced me that we should eat of that fruit and be like God. Looks can be deceiving. Also, the second beast who looks like a lamb, very attractive, very drawn to him, but when he opens his mouth and you listen carefully, you hear the voice of a dragon. 
You hear the voice of the devil himself. Initially, you may be drawn to this beast that comes from the earth, this beast that looks like a lamb, but when you really understand where he's coming from, you realize he is as dangerous as hell itself. Our Lord Jesus Christ warned us in Matthew 7, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. That's the truth about the second beast. He may look nice, and if you first listen to him, he's very seductive, very manipulative. He's a propagandist. He can draw you away from the Lord, but if you listen carefully, you recognize that he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Watch out for him. Brothers and sisters, if you really want to understand this whole part of Revelation 12 and 13, you need to recognize a certain parallel is developing between the Holy Trinity and the Trinity that is the the dragon, the first and the second beast. The Trinity is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father created this world. And he so loved the world that he gave his Son to be the Savior in this world. And the Son was born of a woman. He laid down his life for sinners. He conquered the devil to to raise up a new humanity who would live to the praise and the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit was sent on Pentecost to work in our hearts. To take the word of Jesus Christ and so put it in your ear and in your heart that you believe in Jesus Christ so that he washes away your sins and causes you to be born again. Well, the devil parallels that work. The devil, who is the dragon, hates creation. He does everything in his power to destroy everything that God made. He made the first beast in his own image. This is his son, not to save the world, but to destroy the world. And the second beast, the lamb, the propagandist, is like the Holy Spirit, who comes to work seductively in your heart and draw you away from Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the second beast, see how he parallels the Holy Spirit. Even as the Holy Spirit comes to your heart with the gospel, so the second beast comes to your heart with his word to convince you that Jesus Christ is absolute nonsense and you need to place your hope and your comfort in absolutely something else. We ask ourselves this question. How successful Is the second beast, the great propagandist, the great false prophet, how effective is he in reaching out and damaging and leading the world away from the living God? You would say, how can you answer that question? We only just began the sermon. We haven't really looked at anything that the second beast does yet. But think about it, brothers and sisters. Without knowing anything else, how effective is the second beast? the Lamb, the great seducer. Look at our world. Look at our country. How many church buildings aren't standing empty today? And those that have a few cars and a few people in it, preaching a hollow, empty gospel. The gospel of today, the gospel of Canada, is to seek your comfort and hope in money and in material things in sex, in beauty, in health, in strength, the things of this world. God doesn't apply anymore. The Bible is absolutely useless for the modern man. You don't need to listen to some Galilean peasant who allegedly died for your sins. I'm not a sinner. 
As long as my body is beautiful, as long as I got money in the bank, as long as I have freedom, as long as I own a home and drive a car, I'm fine and I am safe. You know, if you were Rip Van Winkle and you went to sleep in 1907 and woke up in 2007, you would say, who manipulated Canada? Who seduced this country? What propaganda has changed this country from a Christian country to a a country that seeks its God in man himself and in material things? Be well aware, brothers and sisters, that the seductive work of Satan through the second beast has been tremendously successful in our world. It is the world in which we live. Be aware. Be well aware that we are raising families. We have two families here this morning who had their children baptized, but they are bringing their children into a world where they will be seduced and manipulated at every point. Are you aware of that? And are you prepared to fight the good fight of faith and to find your strength in Jesus Christ alone? That brings us to our second point, the threat. We read in verse 12 that the second beast exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. So we see that the first beast and the second beast are working together. The first beast gives power and authority to the second beast, who as the great manipulator and propagandist leads people to worship the first beast and so the devil himself. It's striking that the mention here to the first beast refers to his wound, the fatal wound which was healed. Twice earlier in this passage, we read the same thing. That's a reoccurring theme. If you think about the first beast, he had a wound. And that wound was Jesus Christ stepping on his head. His wound was a result of the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who conquered Satan, conquered the first beast, and raised up a new humanity, washed in his blood and spirit. But the first beast didn't take that lying down. He was crushed, and he was broken, and he knew that he was destined for eternity in hell. But he patched things up. He gave the impression that his wound was healed. He even engaged the false prophet, the second beast. We are not down. We are not broken. We are victorious. O world, recognize us as the only hope and comfort for your lives. The first beast uses raw, brutal power, like politics, to lead people astray. But now he raises up the second beast to seduce and to manipulate the human race. And the second beast does that in three ways, as we see in our text. He performs great signs. He makes an image of the beast. And he boycotts Christians, takes away their jobs, takes away their ability to buy and to sell. Now, historically, there's a lot of interesting material here to help us understand our text. The second beast, the great propagandist, performs many signs, even making fire come down from heaven. We should understand that back in those days, the priests of pagan gods were terrific magicians. They could do all kinds of signs and wonders to convince people that the pagan god was real. They could make fire come down. They could set up an image 
and cause fire to spout from its mouth. And through ventriloquism, they could stand to the side and make it seem like the pagan god was actually speaking. And people just gobbled it up. People believed that there were false gods. They believed that fire was coming from heaven, that these gods were speaking. If you want to read an interesting story about that, read the apocryphal book, Bell and the Dragon, to see the master of deception that you had in those days. Also, images were set up. Think of the Old Testament with Nebuchadnezzar, who had a a huge image set up of himself, and anyone who did not worship that image was thrown into a den of lions. Think of Daniel's three friends. But also in the time of our text, Domitian, the emperor, there was a huge statue set up for him in Ephesus. Anybody who did not bow down and worship that image could be thrown into jail, lose his job, and even killed. And here's where you see that the first and the second beast start to work together. The second beast says... Here's an image of the emperor. You must worship him. And if you don't, then we will get the political power, which is the first beast, to take away your job, throw you in jail, and maybe even have you executed. Brothers and sisters, that kind of stuff is still happening in our world fairly recently. If you go back to the early 1900s, and you think of the rise of Adolf Hitler in Germany, if you wonder how, how a an idiot like Adolf Hitler, how this this pathological homicidal maniac could ever come to power, you need to recognize he had a second beast working on his behalf. Because in the 1930s, you not only had very powerful, rich Jews who felt that Adolf Hitler would be someone who could bring the country back in proper order, never realizing how Adolf Hitler would turn on them, But you had the Lutheran Church. The Protestant Church in Germany saw Adolf Hitler as a latter-day Christ. The second beast, the great manipulator, religion itself in Germany, put Hitler forward and said, this is the man to rule our country, to bring Europe into a new and rich glory. And anybody who did not listen to that, Christians who stood up against that, were slaughtered in concentration camps. The second beast fed the information. The first beast would do the killing and the manipulation to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Now you would say, we are too sophisticated and educated in 2007 to fall for the tomfoolery, the trickery of the second beast. Magic, slay of hand, Double talk. We are too smart to fall for something as stupid as believing Adolf Hitler is our God, our Christ. We would follow him. Is that true? Are we that smart? Is Canada, is North America that sophisticated? We have the veneer of sophistication. But sometimes it seems that the human race is as dumb as a bag of hammers. You look at our world today, how many people haven't fallen under the influence of Islam? Even in Canada, even Reformed people joining the Muslim religion, a religion which in some of its most horrendous forms is is terrorist and violent, 
and treats women in, a, in an objectionable fashion. But that's just one example. Another is, brothers and sisters, what is the great propagandist in North America today? What is the chief false prophet here in Canada? You know what it is. It's our media. It's our culture. It's our secular education system. It is special think tanks who want to influence society and say what this land needs, what every man and woman and child in this country needs is good health, money, a home, a car, beauty, free access to sex, and you got a mate. Then you'll be happy and it will be well with your body and your soul. And if they get just a little more sophisticated, they ratchet it up a little bit and say, oh, by the way, what we also need to be concerned about is global warming and poverty and racism and the church with its Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't going to help you. That whole old gospel of, of a Savior who came into this world to die for sinners and to give you the happiness of knowing your sins are washed away is garbage. It'll make nobody happy. The Bible is irrelevant for the modern man. And if any church wants to survive, they better change the gospel. Don't talk about sins and forgiveness. Talk about poverty. Talk about global warming. That is the message for the modern man. And you know, brothers and sisters, you know how effective this is in our land. Canada, North America, has been seduced it has been brought down with, with, with stupid talk that sounds so sophisticated. And the average person in the street, what he is longing for is to have a bigger paycheck, a bigger home, access to sex freely with whomever, whenever they want. And we're not saying here that we are not desirous to enjoy the things of life and we're not saying we're not concerned about the environment or about racism or about poverty. That has to be our concern. But it's not the gospel. Dealing with what's called global warming isn't the ultimate thing that's going to give you comfort and hope for your body and soul and life and death. Only Jesus Christ can do that. We may live in a world, we may live in a country which is bereft of the good news of Jesus Christ. But don't buy into the modern agenda. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to secular education. But listen to the good news of Jesus Christ. Your only hope is knowing your sins are forgiven. Your life is renewed. And then you can get into this world and make a difference for both the glory of God and the upbuilding of your fellow man. There is a reference in our text that whoever... Whoever does not listen to the false prophet, the second beast, whoever does not go along with the media and the culture of our land will be killed and will be boycotted. Now, we have learned from the book of Revelation that when it speaks of martyrdom, it doesn't mean that literally every Christian will be killed. But what it does say is some Christians will be killed for their faith. But more, more importantly, more to the point is, Every Christian will suffer. If you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you will suffer. 
Now, Adolf Hitler, when he met a Christian like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who got in his way and said, Adolf Hitler, you're a madman, and what you're doing is wrong, Hitler had him killed in a concentration camp in Germany. He had a solution. You don't listen to him? Kill you. But Canada also has a solution. It has a way of dealing with detractors. What happens if you don't buy in to the whole idea of global warming, the whole idea that this world in a, in a number of years is going to be absolutely finished if we don't drastically change everything that, that we do with heating our homes and driving our cars? What if you don't agree with the homosexual agenda? What if you don't go along with militant unions? What if you refuse to, to work on a Sunday? Well, our, our country knows how to deal with you. And you'll be educated. You'll be brought down a notch. You might be demoted at work. You may lose your work. You might be dragged through the mud of public opinion. There are people in our country today who are in court whose reputations have been absolutely destroyed because they dare to say something about homosexuality. They've lost their reputations. They've lost their homes. They're looking at huge fines. They may be looking at prison times. Satan, with his first beast and his second beast, knows how to work the system in our country. You don't go along with his agenda. You're going to suffer one way or another. Our text says that the second beast forced everybody to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, this could be a, a reference to a practice back in those days that when you were a slave, you had a mark on your hand or on your forehead that said you belonged to that person. You were a slave of that man or that woman. And it might even be that in these days, in places like, like, like Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and so on, that people received a mark if they bowed down and worshipped the beast. In other words, at the workplace, they would worship the emperor, they would worship the pagan gods, and they would actually make sacrifices. More likely than anything else, we're speaking here symbolically. Even as we see in Revelation 7 about the 144,000, the 144,000 is a symbolic way of speaking of all believers. They are sealed with the Spirit. That's not, a, a, that's not a literal mark. What that means is you have been claimed as a child of God. The Holy Spirit has filled you. The Holy Spirit leads you through your life to live through the praise and the glory of God. And everybody can see it. In the same way, anyone who follows the beast... Anyone who follows the agenda of the world has got a mark. Clearly shows that he or she is following the beast, following Satan, and not living in faith in Jesus Christ. Anybody who follows the second beast will be allowed to keep his job. You can have your home. You will have your income. You will have your freedom. But if you refuse to follow the beast and you want to follow Jesus Christ instead, you will suffer. And even today, in our world, there are Christians who are dying for their faith. There are Christians in jail. There are Christian boys who are being made soldiers who murder and rape. There are girls who are turned into slaves and also sex slaves because of their religion. 
That's in places in our world. But in our own country, if you are a Christian who stands tall and strong for your faith and for your principles, people will notice and you will suffer. They will shun you. They'll take away your job, lose your promotion, have difficulty teaching in colleges and universities in our country. You will be noticed. You want a job? You want to be accepted by this world? Follow the beast. Follow Satan. You will have financial security. But you want the real joy and the true hope of knowing your sins are washed away, your life is renewed, and you have the the hope of everlasting joy in the new heavens and new earth. Stand up. Embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and follow him. Which will you do, brother, sister? I sure hope that that's a rhetorical question, that in your mind you know what is important to you, which way you will go. When by the grace of God you make the right choice, then you are offered this tremendous comfort and hope, as we see in the last verse of our text. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Everybody knows this text. Everybody in in Edmonton, everybody in Canada knows the number 666. It is the number of the beast. It's such a popular, well-known passage. Problem is, it seems like nobody really knows what it means. What is the significance of this number? We are told to use our brains. We are told to think about this carefully. Now, it is true that in the Old Testament times, there was a, a... system known as gematria, which means that every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a a numerical, has has a number associated with it. So if you take the number 666, or actually 666, you can get those numbers to attach to a certain letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and you can come up with a name. And if you do that, you come up with a lot of names. Nero, certain popes, Napoleon, Hitler, these are all names that if you apply the number 666 to the Hebrew alphabet, you'll come up with their name. But so will other names. For instance, a cute purple dinosaur is also 666 in the Hebrew language. And then you start to think, you know, this is not relevant. This is not helpful. The solution to 666 is not the Hebrew alphabet. It is not gematria. But as the book of Revelation itself, think, says our text. Use your brains. Investigate. You got here a number. And everybody who studies the book of Revelation knows that numbers are so important and have such a a tremendous message, particularly the number seven. The number seven means perfection and completeness is the number of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has seven horns representing full power. He has the seven spirits representing the fullness of the Holy Spirit who goes throughout the earth to to declare the name of Jesus Christ, to establish the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is number seven. He is perfect. He is complete. He is our Lord and our Savior. He has crushed the power of Satan. But the beast, he's got six. He's pretty powerful. The beast has, has manipulated our country and our world The first beast has exerted power to lead people astray. The dragon goes around like a roaring lion, seeking people to devour. 
but he's only a six. I don't care how many times you say six. Say it once, say it twice, say it three times. Six, six, six. It's always incomplete. It's never fullness. Jesus is full. He is perfect. He is complete. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He conquered Satan. And one day he is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And he'll take the dragon, he'll take the first beast and the second beast and everyone who follows them and throw them into the everlasting lake of fire. But he will take his people who hoped in him, who walked through the valley of the shadow of death, who lost their jobs for his name's sake, who lost a, a career opportunity for the name of Jesus Christ, who were thrown in prison for the name of Jesus Christ. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And bring them into the eternity and the peace of the new Jerusalem. Understand this well, brothers and sisters. Understand well, parents, fathers and mothers, raising children in our modern world, our modern culture. Recognize how great is the seduction of the second beast. It's in the media. Every time you open a newspaper, every time you turn on a TV, when your children go to college or university... When interacting with their neighborhood, they're being seduced left, right, and center. Recognize the world in which we live. And then see Jesus, the perfect seven, our Lord and Savior. And place your trust in him. Acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. Say there is nothing more important to me in my whole life than to know that Jesus died for my sins. And I belong to him. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Let the devil do his worst. Jesus is my king. He is my Lord. And he is my savior. And one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and bring us into his eternal presence forever. Amen.